Welcome to Fearless Mom. We are so excited to wrap up this series. Actually, for us, we are wrapping up the semester. The entire spring is, this is our last lecture of the spring. But we love this series, Emote Control, because we believe it is mission critical to equip our children to identify, process, express, and overcome emotions like anger, like fear, like sadness in an effective and productive way. And so we are excited to talk about sadness today. I know it sounds strange, but we are. But before we start, we want to shout out to our online moms. We are so glad that technology has connected us, whether you're watching or listening by yourself or you're with a group somewhere. Our prayer is that you remember that you are not alone, that there is a group of moms in Austin cheering you on. We believe in you, we are for you, and we are with you. So let's start with a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for this day. I thank you, God, for the gift of motherhood. I thank you, God, for the gift of church, for the gift of technology that allows us to reach beyond these walls. I ask right now, God, that you do something only you can do, that you calm our hearts and our minds, that you open our eyes and our ears so we can see and hear what you want us to learn today so that we can be the moms you've created us to be, to raise up these kids to be who you created them to be. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Now, we are talking about sadness today. And um, I was trying to think of an example of sadness, an instance when I handled it so well, or, you know, an example that you could learn from, or maybe it was a, a you know, an ultimate failure, you know. And, and I thought of all these things, and, you know, I recognize so much about myself when I teach about sadness. So I need to be very upfront with you. I hate sadness. I hate for me to be sad, for my kids to be sad, for my husband. I hate for someone I don't know to be sad. I like happiness all the time. I like party favors because everybody leaves happy. I don't care what goes on, but I want you to leave happy. And so I want to be honest with you that I have learned so much. And yes, I've taught this message before. Actually, I've taught it multiple times. Every time I teach it, I'm forced to evaluate my relationship with sadness. And so, bummer, but I learned so much. So I have a lot of words to say. Now, Emily, as you know, is 24 years old now, but when she was in elementary school, she played softball. She um, was on a team with um, many of her good friends, and so they loved it. They were much more about the visor and the little straps that made their shirts into a tank top than they were about the game, and of course, the snack after the game. But when Emily got to fifth grade, she had a coach that said to the team, um, practice is optional. Yeah, that's right. Practice is optional. So Emily comes home. She says, um, coach said that practice was optional, so I don't have to go. I said, what? Practice is optional. She goes, yes. I go, Emily, honey, practice is not optional. Practice, yes, mom, everybody said that that's okay. And because he said practice is optional. We do not have to go to practice if we don't want to. I said, Emily, honey, practice is never optional. Turn to your neighbor and say, practice is not optional. 
Because practice prepares you for the game. You have to go to practice if you're gonna know how to play, particularly as a team. And when it comes to parenting, we have to view parenting as practice for the game. We've already said that parenting is like a prep school. We prepare our children for adulthood, not for college. That is a misnomer. It's actually for beyond college. But then parenting is preparation, and it is practice for the game. Now, raise your hand if you've ever been sad. Anybody been sad? Oh, oh, look. Oh, my goodness. I think that's almost everyone. Okay, raise your hand if you've ever been disappointed. Oh, oh, yeah, again, everyone. If you've ever experienced any kind of loss or, yeah, grief. Oh, there we go. Okay. We know that our children will face, not may face, they will face sadness, disappointment, hurt, and loss. They will. That is called life. So if we know they are going to face it, then don't we have the responsibility to equip them, to prepare them to face it? So instead of looking at this as, I I don't want my child to ever feel it, what you want is your child to experience it, to learn from it, so that they know how to handle it in an effective, productive way. So parenting is practice, as Aaron Iverson says, It's all about, is Allen Iverson, who's the basketball player? It's about practice. That's right. It's about practice. That's what we're talking about. It's all about practice, preparing our kids for life. I've told you many times, Emily is a deep feeler and a quick to articulate her feelings. And we used to call them, um, Emily, let me say, when she was young, she was very thorough in expressing her thoughts. So they may go on for a long time. Her her what we call emotifons. They were marathons of emotion. And so it, 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 was, it, was, it was long-term. It was a lot of emotion. It was a lot of working through it, and a lot of talking about it, and, and it was great. It was great. It's amazing what I learned from that. Joe, on the other hand, doesn't feel everything as deeply as Emily does, but what he does feel, he feels deeply, and, and he feels strongly. But with him, It was like pulling it out of him. It was like trying to help him see what he was feeling, identify it, and process it, and learn how to express it. With Emily, oh, it was expressed. It was like a fire hose, you know. And so our responsibility was to teach her how to filter before expressing. But every child, everyone, because we've already established every child at some point will express sadness, disappointment, hurt, or loss. And so our responsibility is to prepare them. Whichever end of the spectrum your child comes from, I love that God gave me two complete opposites. I believe that is for y'all. And so that we can, your child probably, you're thinking right now, my kid is more this way, more this way. It doesn't matter. Our responsibility is to prepare every child to handle hurt, sadness, disappointment, loss in a productive and effective way. That's our job, guys. That's our privilege. And just like everything else, my first responsibility is to evaluate how I process sadness, how I process disappointment, how I process hurt and loss. And so we're going to talk about a lot of that today. But we said when it comes to processing emotions and identifying them, that there are two things that we want to teach our kids. We want to teach them to take responsibility. 
So it's all about responsibility. I embrace the responsibility to identify and process. That is my responsibility to identify and process my own emotions. And then I'm going to use self-control as I express and choose to overcome, where I'm going to dig deep and do that in spite of the fear. I'm going to dig deep and forgive and move on. Or I'm going to dig deep and I'm going to find the self-control when I really want to punch her in the throat. I'm just going to express my feelings productively. You see, it's about both taking responsibility and self-control. I cannot express to you how excited I am about the fall curriculum, and that's all I'm going to say. But it's a lot about taking responsibility and self-control and how we can actually retrain our brains and reframe our thoughts. That's all I'm going to say. And so when we equip our kids with tools, when they have ideas, when they have tools that can help them, they now have the hope to overcome. So our responsibility is to identify some practical tools that help so that they can then have hope. When they take that responsibility, when they embrace the responsibility, now they go, okay, this is a feeling, this is a thought, I choose, everybody say, I choose. Choice is huge. I choose how I respond to that feeling, to that thought, to that experience, to that circumstance. I do have choice in the matter. When we give them tools, they then have hope. When a child recalls, take a breath, take a break, watch your tone, watch your face, as we say when we're talking about anger or frustration, take a breath, take a break, watch your tone, watch your face, a child goes, I can breathe, I can decrease my heart rate. I can decrease my blood pressure. I can now move my thinking from my emotion. I can respond with my frontal lobe and not react with my amygdala. Oh, kids, feel, don't that sound science-y? Mm-hmm, that's right. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of research, people. Um, and I watch TV, and you learn a lot from TV. Um, take a breath, take a break, watch your tone, watch your face. When a child recalls a memory verse, like, the Lord God is with me. Uh, he will never leave me or forsake me. Now I have that strength, that will to overcome my fear, to dig deep and find the fight in spite of the fright. And when children understand that in God's economy, this is so critical, and this is what we're going to talk about today. In God's economy, nothing. Everybody say nothing. nothing. Turn to your neighbor and say, she said nothing. She said nothing. I said nothing because God says nothing. God says nothing is wasted in his economy. No loss, no hurt, no pain, nothing is, is wasted. Oh, what a comfort because now I find hope in my hurt and purpose in my pain. It's not about avoiding sadness. It's about how we look at it. It's about how we respond to it because when I, have, when I take responsibility and then I choose how I respond, I remember I cannot control others, but I can always control how I approach or respond to them. I cannot control others. Somebody needs to be reminded that today. I cannot control others. Hey, heads up, you can't control your teenager. And that's okay. You don't want to. It's not your job. Your, control, your job is to direct and correct, teach and train. You're not to control them. You're to teach them how to think, not what to think. And so it's about taking responsibility, and it's about saying, I cannot control others, but I can always control how I approach and respond to them. I now have hope because that's in my control. I can't always choose my circumstances, but I certainly can always choose how I respond to them. I cannot choose this 
this class that I'm in. I cannot choose that my parents are divorced. I cannot choose that my neighbor passed away. I cannot choose that. But guess what? I have hope because I can control how I respond to that situation. And because my mom has taught me that nothing is wasted in God's economy, I know, I believe without a shadow of a doubt. I cannot see it right now, but I trust that God will use it, not just in my life, but in other people's lives. And so it's important how we respond because just like we said about Jack's last week, our response to our kids' sadness can either freeze them where they live in sadness and it, it builds up and they never understand how to process it, or we can free them of that burden. We can say, yes, it is sad. That is a loss and that is real and that is painful, but you don't have to live there. It's okay to feel sad, but we don't want to live sad. Those are two very different things. And when we teach responsibility and when we teach self-control, we give them that freedom. Now, I want to get on the same page with our emotional vocabulary. As we've been talking about um, emote control, it's so important that we teach kids emotional vocabulary so that they can begin to articulate it. It begins when they're very young, when we're talking about our own feelings. With an infant, you begin to say, oh, look, buddy's frustrated. You know, you're, you, can already, you can begin to... Um, Learn the words for yourself so they become part of your vocabulary as you're teaching them emotional vocabulary. So we want to get on the same page with our emotional vocabulary, sadness. Sadness, the definition that we're going to use today, is the temporary unhappiness as a result of loss, disappointment, or hurt. Temporary, that's pretty important, temporary unhappiness as a result of loss, disappointment, or hurt. When we talk about temporary disappointment, I need you to understand that I'm not minimizing sadness or great loss, and I'm not making light of it. But what we want kids to understand is that, again, it's okay to feel sad, but God does not design us to live sad. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. We know that that is God's design, God's desire. We know that life says we will be I mean, you don't have to even read the Bible to be aware. Life will teach us sadness is part of life, but we don't have to live there. So I'm not minimizing it, but I'm talking about all the sadnesses. We're going to address it from any perspective, wherever you are today. It may be, I am sad because I was not invited to that birthday party. And listen, that, that's a big deal, and that hurts, and that, that is real sadness, all the way to, I lost my parent or my parents are divorced, or whatever it is, a sadness that lingers, a sadness that is revisited. Um, and so uh, however we learn to process it, today I want you to think about that whole perspective, that whole spectrum, so that we're equipping our kids because we've already said they will face it. They will face it. We get to prepare them. We get to pour into them so that they are ready for it. Um, Today's lesson, I think, on sadness is extremely relevant today, more so than any other time, because as we've said, we've quoted studies that say that, you know, college staffs and counselors and um, administrators are discovering that we have a generation of emotionally fragile young adults, that what they're finding is kids who cannot handle appropriately 
the everyday hurts and hits, the, the normal disappointments of life that a college kid would face. Somebody was mean to me. I failed the test. I overslept, whatever it is. But they're finding that across the board. Um, and I've talked, this is anecdotal. I've talked to many people. And then the studies are actually proving that this is true. And so our responsibility is not to go, whoo, what a tough time to raise children. Woo, I hope our kids end up okay. You know, hope they don't fall prey to that. But our responsibility is to look at the studies and go, what can we learn from that? Is there anything I can do? Are there choices I can make, actions I can take that can actually build emotional resilience in my children? And so when I look at this, when we look at the trends of, you know, what's happening with young adults today, really? It is because it is parents who loved their children. And I'm going to tell you the books that I've read, the articles, the studies, they almost all point to the same thing. They love their children so much that they never wanted them to be sad. They never wanted them to experience hurt. They never wanted them to experience disappointment or failure. So they intervened. And instead of helping our kids avoid sadness, we could help our kids handle sadness. Instead of helping our kids avoid mistakes, we could equip our kids to handle mistakes. Instead of helping our kids, you know, avoid disappointment, we could equip them to handle disappointment. We've got to change the way we're thinking. It's too important. We know they'll face it. It's our responsibility to prepare them for it. You know, I, as I told you, I have a huge aversion to sadness. I want everybody to be happy all the time. And my solution is let's get a snack. You know, I'm whatever it is, let's get a snack. Oh, you know, you woke up late, I know what will help. Let's have a snack. You know, somebody hurt your feelings, oh, let's get a cookie. Uh, you know, I mean, we started early when they're young. You know, here's a goldfish, buddy. Here's a goldfish. You know, that helps everything. Goldfish, I can't be the only one. Ice cream, come on. Bluebell, yes, it solves all problems. And so I'm like, I just need everybody happy. Ice cream makes happy. But I have to say, no, you know what? i got to work on my relationship with sadness and disappointment and loss so that I am comfortable with my child feeling it so that they can be equipped for it. And I'll be the first to say that this message is for me because I'm terrible at it. And I don't want my kids to ever experience disappointment. I don't want my kids to ever experience loss. I don't want them to experience hurt. But I have to say, each time that I've watched them work through it when it was something I couldn't intervene and fix, you know, or Mac wouldn't let me. Um, and so I, I, I allowed that disappointment or that. I've seen them build resilience. I've seen them get stronger. I've seen them come out on the other side more confident. We know independence builds confidence and competence. And why would I take that away from them? Because I don't want sadness. But guess what, guys? It's not about me. Turn to your neighbor who is a mom and say, it's not about you. Oh, that is so hard, but I want it to be about me. I want it to be about how I feel and what I like to do, but it's not about me. It's about my responsibility. It's about my responsibility to prepare them to be adults. And if we can look at it this way, then our children will be less afraid of failure and more willing to take risks. They will be less likely to avoid difficult tasks and more likely to choose to tackle challenging problems. They will be less likely to feel like they need our help 
and they will tackle it on their own. And we know that independence builds confidence and independence builds competence. And that is what we are working for. Our responsibility is to raise up strong, independent, competent young adults. And you may be thinking, well, my child has a disability. My child, your responsibility then is to talk to that counselor, to talk to that pediatrician, to talk to the educator and say, how independent can she be? because I'm going to work toward that. How independent can he be? Because we're going to work toward that. Everybody has a level, and it's your responsibility to figure it out. And we have to see the value of sadness, because if we never experience sadness, then we'll never have the thrill. It's, it, they go together. If, if we never have it, then we'll never experience the joy. If you've ever been on a roller coaster, I love roller coasters, but the big thrill, you have to climb the hill first. Then you get the big thrill. That rhymes, and so it'll probably be a sticky sentence later on. Okay, I can't help it when something rhymes. I just say it over and over again. Um, If we're not careful, though, we're going to raise another generation. We're just going to have more of the same, of cautious, careful, afraid, you know, people who aren't willing to take risks. Actually, one study says it may affect our economy eventually because there will be less people starting new businesses. Isn't that interesting? And we will have less innovation. I'm telling you, it, it's, it, we have a huge responsibility here, but we can do it. So let's look at how we look at sadness. We got a few things in our notes. When you feel the pain of loss, it's because you know what it feels like to love and be loved in return. What a privilege, what a joy to have a family member that you are so close to and who loved you so much. And so we can look at it, take another perspective on that loss. Disappointment. When you feel disappointment, it's because you know what it feels like to have your expectations or hopes fulfilled. You got to know both. And when you feel hurt, it's because you know what it feels like to be loved, appreciated, and valued. And so we got to look at both sides because you got to climb the hill. Uh Uh-oh, you know it was coming before the thrill. Okay. Ecclesiastes 3, 1, and 4 tells us that everyone will feel sadness. We've already established this, but guess what? God agrees with us and we love it when we find scripture to um, validate and um, support whatever we are teaching. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Everyone will feel, will feel, everyone will feel sadness at some point. Sadness is not all bad. As much as I hate for my kids to be sad, uh, when my reflex is to protect, I remember my responsibility is to prepare. I'm going to say that again. When my reflex is to protect, I have to remember my responsibility is to prepare. And I've told this story a million times, um, but I just, I feel so fortunate that my kids had this experience. Um, In their elementary school, Angela Woodbridge, who is now a Titus II mom, she's in the room somewhere. Thank you, Angela. I'm thanking you publicly. Um, When they were in, I I think she started it, maybe first grade, I know second grade. In second grade, um, it was very matter of fact, all the kids did it if they wanted to. They auditioned for a part in second grade. And she would read the results. She controlled it. She wanted them to see her face. It was very strategic. It was very intentional. And everyone would audition. She would have the responses. She would read them out and say, this person got the part. Um, Everyone did a great job, but this person um, got the part. 
It's great. She was very matter of fact. The kids went on about their business. Second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, every time they auditioned. And it was just part of what they did. My kids have no fear of walking in to any audition or any job interview. I'm telling you, I know it's because of Angela Woodbridge. We were so fortunate. Every year, guys, every year Angela will text me, and she has moms and dads who write her terrible emails, who go to the principal and say, this is terrible that she is having auditions. This is, I, I don't want my child to be a part of it. I would have said, okay, fine. Don't let your child be a part of it. But I'm like, this is, it's, it's life and it's skills. And it's what my kids learned was, I'm going to give it my best. I may get it, I may not. And the next year, I'm going to try again. I may get it, I may not. And the next year, I'm going to try it again. I may get it, I may not. Twice a year, they did a spring show and, uh, uh, no, a fall, what was it? Winter show and a spring show. And every time my kids would audition and sometimes they got it, sometimes they didn't. Listen, Joe never got it. Joe auditioned every time. Angela will tell you that today. Joe will try anything, and he will try over and over again. And he just, I'm telling you, it was just part of what they did. It was very matter of fact. I feel so fortunate. He auditioned, auditioned, auditioned. Never got a part. Got little parts in middle school, um, like maybe, you know, with other people. Joe had never been on a stage by himself. His senior year in high school, he tells us, I'm going to audition for the musical. Now, our high school, the choir is about 500 kids. It's a pretty big deal. And so the musical is huge. It sells out. Um, Joe, the year they did it, they actually added a fourth show. And it was um, over 1,000 people, about 1,200 people each show. Remember, Joe has never been on stage by himself, ever. And he goes, oh, I'm going to audition. I was like, okay, that's awesome. Now, what did I want to say? I, I'm like, dude, you've never done anything. What, I mean, I love you, and I think you're awesome at so many things, but like, what? You know, but he, it was just part of his life. It was just, we audition, we try. I wanted to protect him, so I am preparing him. Buddy, whatever happens, you know, you get to lead either way, you know. So here, the musical was Shrek. And he and his two best friends were going to audition. Joe was auditioning for Donkey. Um, his other, was, uh, other friend was auditioning for Farquaad. His other for Shrek. And so they're all, they didn't want to compete against each other, but they were going to go in. And Mac and I are like, oh, my gosh, what is happening? And so Joe goes in for the audition. I'm telling him, oh, you are, you know what, either way, you have an opportunity to lead. <laughs> because people will watch. I was trying to, I was preparing him for loss. Either way, you know, because in my mind, I'm like, he's never done this before. Why on earth would he audition? For, you know, I'm wanting, I don't want him to experience disappointment. So needless to say, passive aggressively, I try to talk him out of it. Um, and then he auditions, <clears throat> callbacks, everything. He calls me, calls Mac and me. I'll never forget it. We were in the car. He goes, Mom, I didn't get donkey. And we're like, buddy, that's okay. That is so okay that you didn't get donkey. You have an opportunity to lead. You know, he goes, I'm Shrek. <laughs> I'm glad Mac and I were in the car because this was our response. <laughs> and so we're like, that's amazing, Joe. That, have you called Emily? Because <laughs> she's going to be amazed too. And I'm like, this is incredible. I was a wreck. Here's the thing about Joe. I will show a clip of it. I'll post it later. But this is the thing about Joe. Joe, whatever he does, he is all in. And I mean, Shrek had nine solos. 
Nine. Mm-hmm. There were like 47 scenes. Joe was in 44 of them. Joe has never been on stage by himself. And yet, he's like, I'm all in. Mom, I'm Shrek. I was made for this. You know, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay, the week of rehearsals. I was the mom in charge of the volunteers. So I'm backstage with the other mom, um, Donkey's mom. And so uh, we're, we're backstage. I can hear them rehearsing. I called Joe and asked him if I could tell this story. He never hit the note in the opening song. It's like the big opening number. So I'm backstage. I'm hearing all the dress rehearsals. He never hit the note, and it's a big one. And when Joe goes in, he goes all in. And so I'm like sweating. I mean, every rehearsal, I'm just like, so I'm saying to the other mom, I'm like, I I can't do this. Somebody's got to say something. I mean, I'm like, I'm telling her, I'm like, please tell me that they will intervene. And then that they will, and she goes, Julie, they are not going to let him get up there. And I'm like, mm, they haven't intervened yet. <laughs> and, and I don't know if I can, you know, I didn't want him to be embarrassed. I didn't want him to be disappointed. I didn't want him to be hurt. I was a wreck. So first night comes. Now, keep in mind, they never changed it, FYI. He never hit it. And so I am sweating. I'm already preparing how I'm going to console him. And um, what happened? Joe walks out. Literally, people who were in our family who went to see him, when Joe walked out on the stage, you could hear a, a, a gasp. Like, what is happening? You know, who is this person? I was actually getting texts from other mothers. Is that really Joe? You know, he walks out so confident like he's been on stage his whole life. And then he hit every note. Every note in every show that I was nervous about him auditioning for. And guess what? He graduates in May. Guess what his major is? Theater. That's right. (laughs) So he, I mean, it's amazing. And here, I'll tell you, it's because Angela Woodbridge was okay with letting kids audition and getting hate mail. Never be the mom who sends an email about your kid being disappointed. It's okay. It's okay. I called him and I said, buddy, and after the show, we did say to him, we go, Joe, it's not that we didn't believe in you. Um, It's just that we didn't know that you had that in you. You know what he said? I didn't know either. (laughs) I was like, where did that come from? He didn't care that he didn't know. And I'm like, oh, thank you. I truly believe it is because of teachers like Angela, who's it's just part of the process. Swing for the fences. Sometimes it's a home run. Sometimes it's a strike. You keep going. Amazing, amazing. We feel so fortunate. So that is, all. look, I'm sweating just thinking about it, y'all. I, I mean, I can now enjoy the DVD because when, I, when the real show was going on, I'm like, you know, wanting to vomit the whole time. Um, okay, and y'all remember that I told you that when Joe is nervous or anxious, his reflex, you know, is to throw up. They actually had buckets on either side of the stage <laughs> because I had told them, I go, he may get nervous. And you know what my sister said? You're assuming Joe's going to be nervous. I said, that's true. <laughs> Never was. Oh, well. Um, and now he just, it's like it's always been a part of him. 
So when we now are going to, we're going to get into the practical about how we prepare. And it's just like any other emotion. We talk about separate, validate, and educate. And so what do we separate when we're talking about sadness? Truly, when we talk about sadness, the most important thing is to separate your feelings from your child's feelings. Separate your feelings from your child's feelings. I am so connected to my child that I feel everything he feels. I think I feel everything he feels. Sometimes I'm anticipating things that aren't there. I would have said, oh, you know, don't you, don't you want to try out? Let's be in the chorus. You'll be such a leader in the chorus, buddy, you know, but no. And so I have to separate my anxiety, my nerves, my worry, my fear of his being sad, my fear of her being disappointed. I have to separate it. And I have to say, Whatever happens, I know that my child will learn from it and will grow from it and actually will be more emotionally resilient because of it. That's hard. That's hard. But I trust and I believe. And so I have to separate my feelings from my child's feelings. This takes us back to three of our principles that we taught when we are teaching about grit. I'm going to review them real quick. I have to recognize my identity apart from my child's. I have to recognize my identity apart from my child's. Um, my daughter's behavior, my son's behavior, my daughter's choices, my son's choices, that's theirs. And so I do my best. I'm confident in my, you know, choices because I'm like, I'm confident in my calling, not in my ability, but I'm confident in my calling. And I'm confident that God will fill in the gaps, not if, but when I fall short. But I have to separate from my child, allow him to feel his feelings, allow her to feel her feelings, see value in that experience so that I can separate. I have to get comfortable with my child's being uncomfortable. I have to be comfortable with my child's being uncomfortable. The thought of Emily and Joe going into an audition when they're in second grade and then being told, I don't get it. Why wouldn't I allow that? Why wouldn't I allow that? Logically, I know it's preparing them, but I'm not being logical. Moms are rarely logical. We don't want our kids to experience that. I gotta stop and say, there's value. There's value in their discomfort because we know struggle builds strength Independence builds confidence, and taking responsibility builds emotional maturity. And then I have to put my child's needs above my wants. It's not about me. It's about my kid needs. I want to do Joe's laundry. Joe needs to do Joe's laundry. I want to feel like a good mom and take Emily's homework up there to her. Emily needs to suffer the natural consequences of her choices. It's all about preparation. It's all about practice for the real game. Homework seems like a big deal at the time. You know, it's a bigger deal, a, a job, you know, a presentation. Got to change my thinking. Your child's sadness or disappointment is an opportunity for him or her to grow, to grow. It's about development. It's an opportunity for them to grow and develop. We have to look at it as such so that we will allow it. And an opportunity for me to parent. It's an opportunity for them to grow and for us to parent. How can I help him be armed for this? How can I equip him? How can I support her? How can I help her? Maybe it's staying out of it. Maybe it's stepping in and guiding, wisdom and discernment, just like anything else. I have to see value in that sadness, that hurt, that disappointment. And I have to say, okay, I'm glad that he's experiencing this now. 
while I'm here and I can walk him through it. I'm glad that she's experiencing this now while she's here and I can walk her through it. I have to see that value. That helps me um, step back. And it's about emotional maturity. It's about developing that resilience so that they have that maturity. They will face sadness. They will face disappointment. They will face loss. We have an opportunity. How we respond will set them up either, okay, I can do this and I've done it before and I've come back from it. I have learned from experience that pain is temporary, that the loss is temporary, that the feeling, as deep as it is, I don't have to live there and I can trust that God is gonna use it. We have to help them build that emotional maturity, emotional resilience, emotional stamina. Stamina is what it is. If you can imagine somebody running a marathon, and they want to quit, but they keep running. That's what we need because you know what? Anybody who's been married knows that you got to have some stamina to stay married. Knows that you've got to go, you know what? This is a hurt. This is a loss. This is a, I want to punch him in the throat right now, but I'm going to go to the other room, lower my heart rate, lower my blood pressure, think with my prefrontal cortex and not my amygdala that wants to slap him right now. And then I'm going to handle it and stay in the game because it's about stamina, it's about grit, it's about keep going. And you know, the Bible talks about this so much and actually I could not believe it, but in Romans 5, 3, I'm gonna read 2 Corinthians first. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. I believe it because the Bible says it, and I believe it because I've seen it. I've been in ministry long enough to see when someone sees this pain, this loss, this disappointment, this hurt, it is real. But I am so confident that God will use it for his glory and my good, for his glory and the good of others. I've seen it happen. I know this to be true. And so we've got to embrace that so that then we can equip our kids to feel the same way and to understand it. Romans 5, 3 actually talks to the stamina of it. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing, not thinking, knowing that God, that suffering produces endurance. Listen again, suffering produces endurance. The suffering is actually what will build the stamina. The suffering is actually what will build the perseverance. It's amazing. Listen carefully. When you're talking to your kids about suffering and about loss, we don't say God caused it. God took him to heaven. God needed him in heaven. God allowed it. Those are two very different things. God, you know, picked him up from heaven, whatever. We're very careful in the language that we, Mac, we were in a funeral one time and the pastor, it was a friend and, and um, Mac was in the audience with me and the pastor kept saying, I don't know why God took your dad. I don't know why God, and Mac almost got up and took the microphone out of that man's mouth. He said, that is not scriptural. There, there is no truth to that. God allows things to happen and we trust that he will use it for good. Now, does God have the power and authority to cause it to happen? Yes. But when we are talking to children, we are careful with our language and we don't understand it, and so therefore I can't explain it. I can just say this, God will use it for his glory and our good. So I'm gonna get to that in just a sec, but it always produces endurance. James 1, two through four. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. 
The testing of your faith produces stamina. The testing of your faith produces grit. The testing of your faith produces emotional resilience. Not only can God use it, he says we need it. We need the test. We need the suffering. We need it to be emotionally resilient. It's amazing. And the verse goes on to more words, but I was kind of stuck on that. Faith produces, you know, perseverance. Romans 8, 28, and this is the bottom line here. We know that God causes everything. Everybody say everything. everything. Not some things, not most things. God causes everything. This is the crux of the matter. This is the memory verse of all memory verses. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. This is what I say to my kids when something terrible happens. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. I know this. I don't see how, but I know that God will use it for his glory and our good. And our responsibility is to allow, to trust that and to continue to obey him and to continue to press into him and see how he does his thing. So we're going to jump now to, we said we have already, we separate our feelings from our kids' feelings and we see it as an opportunity to parent and then validate sadness, hurt, and disappointment are real and they are painful. Don't try to talk your kid out of being sad. That was what I did. Learn from my mistake. Ice cream is good, but ice cream is not the solution to sadness. And so it, it doesn't erase the sadness. I would have done better leaning in and saying, I see that you're disappointed. I see that you're sad. And I, it makes me sad that you're sad. I'm sorry about that. That's it. And be there and validate it. And, and say, because here's the deal. When we talk about identify, process, express, and overcome, emotions, and that's our responsibility, most of us can't identify sadness. It often comes out as anger or frustration or removal. Anger is often the secondary, but originally we were sad. So our responsibility is to be able to identify sadness. I, I don't like sadness, so I don't want to identify it. It's ugly. It's uncomfortable. I don't want it for me. I don't want it for anybody else. But I got to press in and say, you know what? I'm sorry that you're sad. And it is hard when your children are sad, it, it is tough, but there is value in it and we are faithful. We know that God is faithful to use it for his glory and our good. But don't try to talk your kid out of being sad. Remember, here's our big thing. It's okay to feel sad. You just don't wanna live sad. It's okay to feel disappointed. You just don't wanna live disappointed. That's why we wanna teach them to overcome. We validate it. So we identify it. We teach them how to identify that emotion. What does that look like in you? What does that feel like? If you've got a kid who, like Joe, who all of his emotions are right here in his gut, you know, I try to teach him to, you know, like, how, how are you feeling? How are you, you know, headaches, whatever it is. It's, we're teaching them that. And a lot of those kids, if they're on Joseph's end over here, um, where they, they also love happiness and want everybody to be happy, um, and they are not quite as quick to articulate, then um, there are often physical symptoms because they keep it on the inside, not because they want to. It's, it's a process. And just like reading, just like math, just like everybody develops at his or her own pace. And our responsibility is to learn them so that we can teach them. Okay, so, and again, some pains linger. A loss of a loved one, 
like I said, something devastating. Um, that is not, we're not gonna move on and ever think about it again. Every time we come back, we're gonna revisit. And then when we do see good from it, we try to equip them. At the time when somebody's sad is not the time to be preaching to them about it. Your responsibility is to say, I'm so sorry. Boom, boom, that's it. Don't lean in and give them all the, you know, quotes about how God is gonna use this for good. Like that, that, that's for another time. You know, let them be sad, let them be sad. And then next, educate. So we um, separate and then we validate and now we educate. Sadness, disappointment are temporary. It's a temporary feeling. It's real and it's painful as we saw earlier, but it is temporary. Psalm 30, verse five, weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. Joy comes with the morning. And that's not M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. That's not, it is, the morning is in the, it's a new day. It's a new day. Sometimes the pain lasts for a while. But again, Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. The pain is real, feel it, process it, express it, but we're not supposed to live there. Because then again, that takes us back to all our future decisions are based on that. And we wanna parent toward a vision, that vision of that full life that God has created us to live. And then this is just a great life skill, the great life saying, life's not always fair, but God is always good. Life's not always fair, but God is always good. Sometimes we feel like it's our responsibility to have all the answers. It's not, it's not. Our responsibility is to do the best we can. And when our child says, why does that happen? Why did that? And a lot of times parents will want to say, like I know a friend, her, um, they had another family and the mother died suddenly. So what was her son's question? Will you ever die? Will you and dad ever die? Needless to say, they wanted to say, we will never die. No, that, that's not true. You can't, <laughs> no, that's not up to you. But what they did say was, We'd have a, we know that you will be okay even if we do. We know, and, and talk about the plan and talk about um, you know, how you're gonna go live with you know, Pastor Mac and Miss Julie. That actually happened with this situation. But um, it is, there's value in um, listening to their fears, listening to their sadness, but don't, don't explain it with things that you can't explain. Don't make up words just to fill in the space. Does that make sense? Don't, you just say what you know to be true. God, life's not always fair, but God is always good. And even if something does happen to me, I know that God is always with you and he will never leave you or forsake you. We can rest in that. That is a promise. Um, we have to remember, though, when it comes to being sad, you know, I don't know if y'all have ever heard, though, that um, you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. And so it's so true. It's so true. Everything in my life can be peachy keen, but if one of my kids is struggling or sad, I'm sad. You're only as happy as your unhappiest child. But we all want our kids to be happy, but we have to see the value of sadness, the value of hurt, and the value of pain in building their perseverance, in building their grit, in building their emotional resilience. We know that they will face it. So we have an opportunity and I believe a responsibility to equip them for it. I'm gonna add another eight. We separate, we validate, we educate. But on this one, I think we really have to evaluate our own feeling about sadness. I, I think before we get there, because really that aversion to sadness will interfere with your parenting. 
If I'm so, if I have such an aversion to sadness that I'm never okay with my kid feeling disappointed, I'm gonna be that helicopter mom. And that's not funny. I've had moms say to me like, oh, I'm just a helicopter mom. I just can't help it. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. It is, again, not an opportunity. It's your responsibility to. It's not about you and how you feel and what makes you feel good. Get yourself some ice cream. (laughs) You know, it's about your responsibility to raise up a strong, independent, competent adult. It's a big deal. And when you think about it, what is the appropriate response? Throwing up in your mouth a little bit. And that's okay. That's okay. But God will fill in the gaps, not if, but when you fall short. And you know what? We've got to have that eternal perspective. If I believe that God uses everything, his word says it. So if I believe that God uses everything to work together for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes, if I believe that, then I believe he's going to do that for my child too. And so I've got to internalize that, metabolize that verse if I'm going to be the mom I was created to be. And I believe you guys can do it. I believe that when we lean on him, when we lean into him, he will say, I'll show you the hope in that hurt. And I will show you the purpose in that pain. But you gotta trust and obey. There's no command to understand. The command is to trust and obey. And you got this. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the assurance that you have called us to this, that we are the moms that you put in our home for just these kids. God, there's a mom who's feeling ill-equipped. Let her feel like she is not alone. Remind her that none of us knows what we're doing, but we lean in, we press in to you because you do know, and you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the Prince of peace. We thank you, God. We ask that you show us opportunities to teach our kids, to help our kids identify, process, express, and overcome emotions. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you, Julie. Isn't it amazing to think about how sadness and happiness are comparative emotions? You can't feel one without the other. You need them both. And at the beginning of this series on emote control, I mentioned a movie called Inside Out, a really clever Disney animated film, and I'm seeing you nodding again. A lot of you have seen it or you're familiar with it. Um, But it's about a little girl who is uprooted from her life in the Midwest and moved to San Francisco. And her, her emotions, joy, fear, anger, disgust, and sadness, all conflict about how to navigate a new home, a new city, a new um, school. <clears throat> and if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it for the purpose of being able to talk to your kids at a neutral time about emotions. Often we talk about uncomfortable, unwanted feelings when we are afraid, when we are angry, when we are sad, in the midst of it. But if you talk, uh, this, uh, this movie would give you the opportunity to talk about it at a neutral time. And it does a great job of highlighting the value of each of those emotions, even sadness. Um, in the movie, the character Joy is the epitome of happiness and sadness is the epitome of sadness. And Joy treats sadness just the way we do in society a lot. She puts it in a corner. She puts sadness in a corner. She tells sadness not to touch anything. And she doesn't want um, sadness to be involved at all. Um, And, 
you know, she makes the mistake that Julie was talking about that we often make. If you just ignore it or replace it with positivity, it'll go away. But the problem with that is that it doesn't work. And uh, Joy figured this out literally when sadness did not go away in the movie. Um, and she didn't want, Joy didn't want Riley to, to, or didn't want sadness to be in control because she didn't want Riley to feel sad, which is often what we do as moms, not wanting our kids to feel sad. Um, and it's hard to watch your child hurt. Um, but just like uh, Julie said that when we don't express them, when we bury them, when we ignore them, they just have the potential to come up stronger and come out in different ways like um, anger and frustration. Um, I just read recently that there is a school in New Jersey. Um, I guess uh, it's kind of a tradition after bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs says that they give sweatshirts or t-shirts as party favors. And the school recently said, you can't wear them to school anymore. Um, and the kids like to, to wear them the Monday after to kind of keep that feeling, that party vibe alive. But they said, we, you can't wear them anymore because it's making the kids who didn't go feel sad. And it's similar to the people who, are, who email Miss Woodbridge about... My kid was disappointed because they didn't get the part and you shouldn't be doing tryouts. But it's these little things like realizing that you're okay if you weren't invited to a party, that you're going to be just fine, that you didn't need that party to define you. You didn't need this role in second grade in a play to define who you are. That helps us when we get to the big things, that we really wanted that starting position when we really wanted that scholarship, when we really wanted that job, that we know we'll get through it because that position, that scholarship, that job doesn't define us. And so letting those little things happen is hard, but it's important. And so today, during reflection, we're going to take a couple minutes to process our own response to sadness. How, how do you respond? Do you put sadness in the corner? Or for you, is it happiness that's in the corner? And you're allowing sadness to take control. Or can you figure out a way to use sadness to help you um, find value in the happiness or give meaning to your life? Or can you use it to guide and inform you? So as the music comes on, we will take two minutes to stop and think and pray, asking God to see things as they really are. And then we're going to evaluate our response to sadness. Do we allow ourselves to express it temporarily? And then we'll evaluate our, uh, I'm sorry, and then after we evaluate, we will consider what we can do. We'll make a list of the changes we can make, the actions that we can take to better express sadness and, uh, and help our children express it as well. And last, we will commit to the fight. That's the hard part. When we walk out of these doors or we finish watching or listening online, to taking action um, on the things that we've listed. Um, and for those of you who are watching or listening online, this is your cue to grab a pen and paper and set yourself a two-minute timer so that you can reflect as well. If you will, bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Julie. Thank you for each mom in this room and listening online and for the families they represent. God, we know full well that your works are wonderful and purposeful and perfect. As we reflect, God, help open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the value of sadness. Help us see the way sadness gives meaning to happiness. 
Help us identify anywhere that we are either ignoring sadness or allowing it to become more pervasive or permanent. And help us express it, process it, and move on in a healthy way. God, we love you and we thank you for your constant presence in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.